Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you here in person and online. If I haven't met you before, my name is Sawyer Trapp. I'm our associate pastor here at the church. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we'll be wrapping up our Daniel series. Over the past um, five weeks, we've been going through the book of Daniel, walking through um, the grand narrative of Daniel's life from moving all the way as a teenager from his home to captivity to being elevated and helping kings interpret dreams. Um, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown in the fiery furnace, and then we'll see this week Daniel undergoing even a greater struggle. Uh, but before we do all that, um, I, I'm evangelist for two things. One of them is Jesus. The second one is a Denver Zoo membership. And here's why. Lesser importance, just so you know, not equal playing field, but Denver Zoo membership, and here's why. You can get into the zoo before anybody else. So the zoo opens at 10 a.m. You can get in like 8, 8.30, depending upon the day. So what Lucy and I did this summer um, is we would show up right when we were able to get in, and then when everybody else, the general public, was coming in, we were gone. We were leaving. And it's great because you basically have the zoo to yourself, and you can see all the animals. The animals are more alert in the morning. You get to see them being fed. Uh, we got the opportunity to see lions being fed, which was an interesting conversation with my three-year-old and like what they were eating, all that sort of stuff. But also, we got to see the giraffes up close. And if you don't know, next to the kind of giraffe area, there's a giraffe house where they can kind of go when it's cold. And that's what it looks like. And so when we walked in, we didn't realize, I didn't think there was any giraffes in there. I thought they were maybe in the back, whatever. And we walk in, and right as we walk in, this giraffe lifts up its head from eating and looks right at us. And Lucy's eyes, my daughter, were as wide as saucers. Because what she had seen only in books was right there in front of her. And I was like, okay, how is she going to respond? And instantly she's like, she was sitting in the stroller, and so she's like, daddy ups. Daddy ups. Because she was scared because this huge animal towering over her, as you can see in that picture, um, we were actually closer than that when we first walked in. So we were about like four or five feet from this fence that is separating us and this huge tall giraffe. And even come to find out after that, there's two more drafts that peer up their head, and it's just us and the drafts. And Lucy, though fearful at first, right, very scared, she's like, Dad, I need ups. I don't know what's going on with this situation. Like, am I safe? Everything was fine. But then she came around and obviously is very happy here in this photo. And so it was just us and the drafts for a little bit. And then this other family walks in, a young boy, probably five, six years old, and his mom. And instead of him being fearful like Lucy has been, he goes right up to the fence, which had glass on it, and he just starts tapping on it. He just starts tapping on it. He's like, giraffe, 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 which if you're a giraffe, I'm probably not a fan of. So the giraffes instantly like back up, like move away, which he was really sad about because he just wanted to see the giraffes, right? But I, I was so struck that those two instances, Lucy being fearful and this young boy walking in and just starts tapping on the glass, are indicative of how we often respond as Christians living in a culture that is different, right? Living in Babylon, as we were talking about throughout this series. That it seems that as Christians, we normally fall into one of two camps, right? We're either like that boy that's tapping on the glass, we're fighters, right? When we see out in the world people say something bad about Christianity or something that's antithetical to our faith, we're going to fight, we're going to go out there and change the world, change culture, change rules, change whatever it is, right? And so if that's you, you know who you are. 
But maybe even more of us are more like my daughter, Lucy. That when we're faced with the problems and the difficulties and the prudential hardships of living in a, a culture that is not Christian, we hide. We don't fight, but we flee. We hide our faith. We're scared. We're worried. We're concerned. If you're a fighter, maybe, maybe you fought against the Starbucks Holiday Cup. It seems like every year people are out there saying, hey, that cup doesn't say Merry Christmas from what is a secular coffee organization, right? They can put whatever they want on their cups. People are boycotting Starbucks. Maybe you're boycotting Harry Potter. Maybe you're boycotting yoga or personality tests or the latest CD or movie. Or you're, maybe you're standing on a street corner and holding a big sign. Those are all fighters, right? You're going out there and fighting, fighting against the culture, going to change the world and make sure that everybody knows what you believe. But then on the other side, right? You're not a fighter, but you flee. Maybe you've given up on social media because you're worried what happens when you post about your faith. Maybe you're concerned of even bringing up in your workplace or in your friend group that you go to church on Sundays. When people ask you what you do on the weekends, maybe you say, hey, I ran some errands, we did this fun Christmas thing, but attending church doesn't come up. Maybe you're just worried that you need to keep the peace and bringing up you know, topics like politics or faith or, or religion is, is just something that you don't want to do because you're worried what the repercussions might be. You're worried that when the giraffe of culture raises its head, are you going to be scared, frightened, and worried? you got to protect you and your own, right? And so I think there's this dichotomy that we either have to fight or we have to flee and we have to protect ourselves. But I think actually there's a third way that's better. A third way that actually God calls us to more than anything else. And it's the way that Daniel responds today when he's faced with a situation that is difficult and hard and could even lead to death. Daniel doesn't fight, but he doesn't flee either. He stays faithful. It's not about fighting or about fleeing. It's about being faithful. Be faithful. So we're going to jump in. We've been working through the book of Daniel. So we're in Daniel 6 this morning. And we've gone through the, basically the whole chapter. If you want to follow along, you can follow along in your Bible. Or we have the sermon notes available in the Version Bible app. Which if you search Bible, that's the brown Bible that comes up. And if you click the menu button, you can find the event and the specific notes so we can follow along together. But it starts off like this. Daniel 6 verse 1. It says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. And the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So just as a means of catch-up, we, we haven't heard about Darius before, right? Last week, Matt wrapped us up, and, and Belshazzar, the, the king, had been killed, and the Persians had taken over. And there's quite a significant gap as Persians and the Medes take over. And you can see on this timeline up here, if you want to pull that up, that actually what happens is, is Belshazzar dies, and then the Persians take over. The Medes and the Persians would be the empire that would rule this area for a very, very long time. It would lead to eventual peace and uh, religious freedom under King Cyrus. But when the Persians took over, they were another invading people group coming in and taking over the last people group, the Assyrians. Excuse me, Babylonians. 
And so what had happened was, is that Daniel had risen to power under the Babylonian kingdom, and now since they had been destroyed and taken over, Daniel has risen even to a higher position in the Persian kingdom. It says that the 120 satraps, which were like governors over specific areas of the kingdom, there was 120 of those for each administrator. And Daniel had elevated himself to be basically the elite level of leadership under the Persian empire. He was now given a position of two, two other people and then the king. That was it. Like that, he was in the elite, he's in the boardroom. He is at like a, a C-suite level executive in the Persian empire. But even more than that, it's not just that Daniel has been given this position. It's not just that he's um, been offered this great position of authority within the Persian empire. It's actually that he's doing a better job than the other two administrators. Look at verse 3. It says, Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom, over the whole kingdom. So he's not just been given this position because of what he's done maybe in the former empire, but now he has so elevated himself that the king plans to give him rule just under him, second in command, over the whole kingdom. It's crazy, right? This foreigner, this man who was brought as a captive, has now elevated himself and been faithful all the way to the point to being second in command only to the king. Over the entire kingdom. I think we need to be reminded that being faithful isn't just about our relationship with God. It's what we do on an everyday basis. It's what we do in our jobs, in our work lives, in our families. Being faithful starts with being faithful in the eyes of the people around us. Being faithful in the eyes of the people around us. And that's exactly what Daniel did. Daniel was not only working his job, but he was good at it. He used his God-given abilities and talents and skills to elevate himself to this high position of power, second only to the king. And this is significant for us because I think it often gets messy as we try to navigate as followers of Jesus how we approach our jobs and our work, right? I think we often fall into one of two areas. Either work is just a distraction, something that we have to do just to pay the bills, that we really want to focus on God and what he has for us, but that work is always pulling at us. Or maybe on the other side of the coin, you get too easily wrapped up in your job, in your employment, right? That the next deadline, the next project, the next issue, the next personnel problem pulls at your attention. Whether you're at the bottom of the totem pole or the top, our jobs, our work can distract us from what God has for us. It can be so easy to find our success, our worth, our value in what we do instead of who we are. Even I, as a pastor of this church, as someone whose employment is wrapped up in their faith, I struggle with that. I have deadlines and responsibilities, especially at this Christmas time of the year, that it's so easy to think that just because I'm working in a church that my relationship with God is good, and it's not, independent of what you do. And so we see this great example of Daniel doing his job and doing it well. So if you are employed, if you have a boss, if you have a manager, if you are one, do your job to the best of your ability. 
do your job the best of your ability because you're not only working for people, you're working for the Lord. But also that Daniel had his job in the right perspective. It wasn't who he was. He didn't find his success there. We'll find as this this account continues on that Daniel had his priorities in the right place. And yet he saw the value of making sure that his job was done well. That people saw him as someone who was reliable, as trustworthy, as someone they could count on. Daniel lives out what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8. In verse 21, it says, For we are taking pains to, not only, to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but in the eyes of man, in the eyes of people. Because it could be so easy for us as followers of Jesus to just think that only our faith actions matter. That only the things that we do for God matters. But the reality is, is that everything we do is God's, right? And so we do our jobs and we do them well, but we keep them in the right perspective. And that's exactly what Daniel has done. He's risen to this position of authority. He's doing his job well. He's doing it better than anybody else. And when that happens, we see that the people around him start to get a little upset. They start to get a little jealous. At at verse 5, it says, Finally, these men, talking about the satraps, the administrators, all the governors, say, We will never find any basis for charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Think about that. They're trying to make him slip up. They're trying to make him fall short. But they look at his life and his work and his work ethic, and they can't find anything wrong that he's going to do. Except for what? Except for when it comes to the law of God. I don't know about you, but I want it to be said of me that the only fault that somebody can find in me is that I follow God too much, right? May that be said of all of us as we seek to live in a world that is maybe increasingly antithetical to our beliefs or against Christianity or are at least different, right? May we be said that the only problem with us is that we follow God. And so what they do is they cook up this plan, they scheme together, and they say, hey, we need to figure out a way for Daniel to slip up. Because this foreigner, this captive, has now risen to the power and authority that we only dreamed we could have. That he is second only to the king. We got to get him fall. We got to bring that man down, right? And so what they do is they come up with this plan, and it's said in verse 7. It says, the royal administrators, the royal administrators, the precepts, the satraps, the advisors, and the governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anybody who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except for you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. And so they go to the king and say, O king, you're so great. You're so worthy to be praised. You have this great kingdom. You took over the Babylonians, and now you have this huge piece of land. And various people groups from different backgrounds. Hey, you know what would be great? If we only worshipped you for the next 30 days, right? And the king is like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Let's worship me. And so he signs the decree. But what do we know to be true from that verse? That if the other advisors were jealous, right? The other administrators were jealous. And they were trying to make Daniel fall they knew that he was going to break that law, right? That Daniel would be unable to worship the king only for the next 30 days, 
and that Daniel would continue to do what he's done, praying to God. Let's fill in the blanks, right? Daniel had been praying to God. He had not done it in a way that's fleeing and not in a way that's hiding. The other administrators, his co-workers, the people underneath him, knew that he was a follower of Jesus. Knew that he was a follower of God, that he was so devout in his beliefs that he didn't let the situation, the circumstances around him dictate his faith. That he was going to keep praying no matter the circumstances. See, Daniel didn't fight against the Persian kingdom. He rose to power and prominence second only to the king in what was, as you study throughout history, a very corrupt and non-Christian, non-Hebrew society, right? So he didn't fight, and yet he didn't flee at the same time. He didn't let the circumstances, the kingdom around him dictate his faith. He didn't conform to the society around him, but he continued faithfully following after God. And that's exactly what Daniel does. In verse 10, it says, Now Daniel learned that the decree had been published. He knew what had happened. And he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Daniel knew of the decree. He knew what he was not supposed to do. He knew that the consequences were being thrown into a lion's den with hungry lions that saw him as dinner. And yet, his faith and his faithfulness does not change. He goes home, just as he has done, as it says, and he continues praying and praying three times a day, refocusing himself to what God is doing as he looks and remembers towards Jerusalem with the hope that he will someday return to his home, that God will deliver him. He doesn't let the circumstances, the society, the kingdom that he is in dictate his faith. He's not going to flee. He's not going to go out there and say, hey, king, I'm second in command. What are you doing? Why are you bringing down this edict on me? That is religious persecution. What are you doing, right? He doesn't do that. He just keeps a faithful presence and continues doing what he knows he should do. And as you can see from that phrase, just as before, I think that's so significant. It didn't matter if it was Tuesday or if it was Sunday or Saturday, if it was a work day or a weekend, if he was praising God or not, he was going to keep praying. It didn't matter if if the king was on his side or his circumstances were awful. He was going to keep praying. It it didn't matter whether the day before the edict happened and he was totally fine to keep doing what he was doing or the day after and he was now threatening his life to keep praying. He was going to keep praying just as he's done before. It's pretty significant, right? Right? Because I think for many of us, one of the things that we struggle with the most when it comes to our faith is our prayer life. And I'm right in the boat with you, I'll tell you, friends, absolutely. It is so easy for us to just go about our lives and then be like, oh my gosh, I haven't prayed today. Or you you get to your meal and you're like, well, I'm going to pray over this food, but have I refocused myself to what God is doing in my life through prayer? Or, Or maybe you're like, I don't even know how to pray. Or I struggle to pray in front of other people. I'm nervous if I'm saying the right things or the wrong things. 
And if that's you, I want to encourage you that we all have some room to grow, and that's okay. And secondly, as we start this new year, we're kicking off the year with our 21 days of prayer and fasting together so that we can all dedicate this year back to God, focus in on what he has for us, but then also grow in our practices of prayer and fastings as disciplines to draw us back to what God has for us. So if you're interested, we do have these 21 days of prayer um, and fasting guides This was put together by our prayer team. This has awesome content in it. So whether you're like, man, I'm struggling with prayer. I don't even know what to say, or I'm ready to go deeper. This is a great place to start. Um, We have them available there in the back. Or if you want one uh, digitally, you can go to risedenver.com slash 21 days, and it's available for download there as well. Let's just gather this first part of the year, January 8th to the 29th, and really focus in to listen to God and refocus ourselves to what God is doing. Because that's what prayer does for us, right? It's not only about us bringing our requests to God, it's listening to him. Refocusing ourselves to God and his mission in our lives. Because I don't have to tell you, it is so, so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get distracted. And yet Daniel, when faced with a death that would be very painful and a hardship that you wouldn't even imagine, he says, I'm going to keep doing what I know I need to be doing. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that we need to pray three times a day, that it's like morning, noon, and night. It's, it's, it's not just another system, another set of rules. Daniel knew that he needed to keep praying. He needed to keep refocusing himself. Because he was living in a world where it was so easy to get focused on something else. To get wrapped up in what the world is doing, what the culture was doing around him. He needed to continually, daily, three times a day even, refocus himself back to God. Because I think that the reality is, is that the status of our prayer life really shows what we're truly worshiping. Because as we need to refocus ourselves, that means we're focusing on something else, right? Maybe it is your job, maybe it is that desire for admiration and accolades and success. Maybe it's your reputation, the the approval of others. Maybe it's just trying to make it through you're struggling right now, that you want to be happy and excited because it's Christmas, but you're like, I got so much going on right now. So much on my plate. Maybe it's past hurts. Maybe it's your financial situation. Maybe it's the loss of a job or, or the sickness or a death of a family member. I don't know what it is, but you're just drowning. But the reality is, is that no matter which one of those situations that you're in or even something different, the focus is on us. Our approval, our accolades, our bad situation. I love the way that the American Catholic Bishop Fulton Sheen puts it. If you do not worship God, you will worship something. And nine times out of ten, it will be yourself. Oof. That hits you right here, right? How many of us are struggling with prayer? And I say us because that's me too. How many of us are struggling with prayer because we're worshiping ourselves? And we need prayer to refocus our mind to God and what he is doing, to lay humbly, as it says, knees down, kneeling before God. God, I need you. I need you. I need you. And we see the fruit of that, right? 
It's because of this practice of prayer, this habitual practice of prayer in Daniel's life that he was able to do the things that he's done. That he was able as a teenager to arrive in a totally different world of Babylonia, of Babylon, and strive to be different, to not eat the way the, the other people ate. So in tune with the spirit that he's able to interpret dreams and visions of kings. And as we'll see, that he's going to keep on praying, even if it means a certain death at the mouth of the lions. Man, that's somebody who's not focused on himself. That's focused on God. That independent of the circumstances, he is going to be faithful. And that's exactly what happens. He continues praying. The other administrators and satraps come and they see him. They know where he's going to be praying. He obviously had talked about it or they had seen it before. And they come to the king and say, hey, your top guy, he's got to be thrown in the lion's den. And the king realized what, he, what has taken place, that he has been tricked into getting rid of his favorite administrator, the best worker in his entire government. And he tries and he tries to weasel his way out of the law, but it has been set in stone. And the day comes, the next day after a night, and he comes to Daniel as Daniel is about to be thrown in the lion's den. And I love what he says. Jumping down to verse 16. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Think about this. This Persian king, this pagan who has never known God prior to him meeting Daniel, is now praying to the God of the universe, I can't fix this problem. But you know who might be able to? Your God, Daniel. You continually serve your God, even if it means death in the lion's den, may he rescue you. This Persian king is praying to God because of what Daniel had done and his faithfulness. And you might be familiar with the story, either from reading it yourself, or this is a very popular Sunday school story. If you didn't grow up in church, Daniel makes it, spoiler alert. But there's this interesting dichotomy between the king's response and Daniel's response. Look a couple verses down. Verse 20. <clears throat> when he came near the den, now this is, this is King, uh, king um, Darius in the morning, right? He came near the den and he came to Daniel in an anguished voice. It says earlier on that the king had been up the whole night worrying and pacing and concerned that his favorite guy, his right-hand man, Daniel, was going to die at the hands of the lions. And while, while King Darius was up pacing and concerned and worried, Daniel spends the night with some kitties. He's just fine. The angel of the Lord comes, shuts the mouths of the lions, and Daniel has what I imagine is an awesome night cuddling up with some purring lions. Would that be cool? While Daniel is fast asleep cuddling with some kitties, the king is pacing and worried and concerned, unconsolable. And he rushes in the morning with an anguished voice. He says, he says to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you continually serve been able to rescue you from the lions? He's wondering if his prayer came true. He's wondering if God has saved Daniel. Because he was unable to. And yet he knows that God can save him, right? And Daniel responds, verse 21, Daniel answered, may the king live forever. 
My God sent his angels and he shut the mouths of the lions. He shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done anything wrong before you, your majesty. Daniel says, you know what? I have been faithful in the eyes of the people around me, faithful even in the eyes of you, my king, but also faithful in the eyes of my God. I have stayed focused on what my God wants me to do. I haven't been distracted or worried about what the world is or doing. I haven't fought or I haven't fleed. I've been faithful. And even, even in the lion's den, even in what would have meant certain death for Daniel, he's going to continue trusting. I, I don't really know this is true. This is a hypothesis I have. But I think if Daniel would have died at the mouth of the lions, he would have went up to heaven and he still would have been like, God, you're still good. You're still faithful. Nice to meet you, right? He still would have known that God had been faithful even if God wouldn't have come through, even if God wouldn't have saved him. Because his faith wasn't rooted in his circumstance. It was rooted in who God is. He stayed faithful. Daniel stayed faithful even, even in the fire of the lion's den. He stayed faithful in the eyes of people, Faithful in the eyes of God, staying focused, and faithful even in the fire of persecution. Man, that's some faith, right? That's some faith. That's an example to admire and to be like. The thing is, though, I I think there's a misconception, especially in Western Christianity, that, that Jesus came to not only save us and give us good life then, but to give us a good life now, right? That, that if we follow after God, if we pray, if we stay focused, if, if we go to church this many times or, or you know, go to our community group or, or whatever it is, that if we're good enough, if we're following after God enough, that that means, you know, God's got to do his part, right? God's got to give us a good life or give us the job or give us the promotion or, or, or save that person or or. Whatever it is, right, that we sort of do this weird bargaining with God where we say, hey, God, I, you know, I was pretty good this week, right? I went to church, I prayed, I, I helped that person. What do you got for me, right? That's not true. Jesus, when he was on earth, said, if you want to follow me, then you have to pick up your cross and come after me. Jesus knew the difficulties that he was facing, the death that he was facing, even though he didn't deserve it. And even though, yes, we can do good things in following after God, we still have a lot of sin in our lives. And sin comes with consequences. But even if we were able to stand, like Daniel says, I have remained innocent in the eyes of God and people, Daniel still said, you know what? I am going to go in that lion's den whether God's come through or not. Whether the saving comes or not, I am going to be faithful because God is faithful even when it doesn't make sense. And so maybe a situation has come to your mind where you're thinking, man, I really wish God would have came through then. Man, I really wish that healing came or that job came through. I really wish that person didn't die. And you're saying, God, where were you? I thought you were faithful. God promises that we need to take up our cross and follow him. 
But he also says, Jesus says that he came to give life abundant to the full. And so, yes, the circumstances of your life, the difficulties, the pain, and the hurt, the problems, it's going to happen in a fallen world. And God might not always come through in the way that we expect. But God promises that we are never alone, that he is with us. That just like the angel of the Lord hung out the whole night with Daniel in that lion's den, God promises that you are not alone in the pain and hurt that you go through. And God promises that there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more hurt. And we get to spend eternity with him. That's something to look forward to. Our life might not always be good, but God is, even when it doesn't make sense. And even more than that, I think as followers of Jesus in a world that is increasingly maybe pushing against our beliefs or maybe against our beliefs, that we need to get used to a little persecution. We need to get used to a little consequences for following Jesus. In fact, um, Paul writing to Timothy says this, 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. Not might, not maybe someday, will be. That we should begin to think of persecution not as evidence that God isn't with us, but that we're following after God. That the world increasingly isn't going to like that we are following after Jesus, that we are living differently, that we are being faithful. And there's going to be some consequences for that. And you know what? That means that we're following after God. We're being faithful just as Daniel did, even to giving up his life if he had to. Maybe I don't have to tell you, but we have been insulated a lot from that persecution. Here in the United States and in the West, we have been given a situation where we don't often have to hide our faith. That there are people right this day facing active persecution, facing the threat of death for following Jesus. And there are story after story of people standing up like Daniel and being faithful. And one of those, I'm going to show you a short video. Her name is Agnes, and she lives in Nigeria. And this 19-year-old young woman stood up and sang the praises of God, even though she faced death. So if you want to check out this video. When Susunzo Subuda Bier, the Bindiga Kamu, Gaskia Nashawa Hala Atom, Domo Ukosun Ukemu, Mukuna Ankashi, Sauram. Agnes was kidnapped by Boko Haram during her time in captivity. A song her father had taught her helped her get through the terrible days of suffering. Sunawaka in Alokatin Domana Kanana. Imunshigadamukuma Powerful, right? This young woman gets it. 
It's not about our comfort. It's not about what we want. It's not about us. She sings about the faithfulness of God when she is facing certain death. Out of the young women that she named, she was the only one that made it out alive. And she's been given opportunities like that to tell her story and and share her faith. To continue to sing of the faithfulness of God, no matter the circumstances. Wow. I pray that we can all have faith like that. That the Holy Spirit work in us and through us. Whether it's standing up for God in your workplace, whether it's doing your job to the best of your ability, whether it's being able to stand and refocus yourself continually on God by developing that habit of prayer, or whether you're undergoing persecution right now and you're saying, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know if I can make it through, but God is still faithful, and so I'm going to keep on following. Because I think Daniel gives us a perfect example of what it looks like to be faithful in the eyes of people, faithful in the eyes of God, and faithful even in the fire. And it points forward to when God himself would come down as we celebrate next week for Christmas. That the God of heaven was born as a baby in a manger and came down and was faithful to what God called him to. That Jesus was faithful even to the point of death on a cross. That not deserving it, being faithful in the eyes of people and God perfectly, even Daniel couldn't do that. And yet he faithfully gave up his life for you and for me. Because we've been unfaithful, right? We've fallen short of God's standards, the ways that he's called us to live. We've fallen short of even the standards that we hold ourselves to. And yet Jesus lived them out perfectly. And he died death in our place and was raised three days later, conquering that sin, conquering that unfaithfulness. And now we can once again live in renewed relationship with God and God calls us, invites us onto a mission of faithfulness to keep on following after him. Not for our own benefit. Yes, we're becoming more like Jesus, but for the benefit of the people around us. That there's an impact to the faithfulness that we have. It impacted the king, Daniel's faith. King Darius would issue a decree where everyone was to follow Daniel's king. And no, that didn't change people's hearts, but it maybe led to a lot of people following after God who wouldn't regularly. What could your faithfulness do? What could my faithfulness do? God has put us uniquely in each place for a reason that we are in the friendships that we have, in our coworkers, in our relationships, in our neighbors. We have been placed uniquely by God to be faithful in the situations that we are in. So if you're a follower of Jesus in this room or listening to my voice, I just wanna give you one step to develop that habit of faithfulness. And it's a pretty easy one in the grand scheme of things, certainly easier than facing death. It's just inviting somebody to Christmas. Inviting somebody to Christmas because who knows what your faithfulness in making the ask will lead to. Could it lead to a king changing his heart? Could it lead to your neighbors and friends that you've been praying for coming to Jesus? 
Could it lead to one of your coworkers maybe just starting to think that not all Christians are bad? Maybe for the first time, somebody will experience the hope that they so desperately need this Christmas. That's what I've been praying for. I think people need hope. I don't know what it's going to be, but God does, and he's just waiting for you to be faithful to what he calls you to. So invite somebody to Christmas. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then maybe you're seeing for the first time what it looks like that Jesus was faithful when you weren't. Maybe you're seeing that God is with you and on your side, even through the difficult circumstances that you're facing, that you are not alone. And maybe you're ready to accept that free gift of salvation, to be called into a mission, to be called into a purpose and an identity so much bigger than yourself. And there will be opportunity in a moment to, to pray some simple words just to declare with your heart that Jesus is Lord and seek to follow him for the rest of your life to accept that gift of salvation that God so freely offers. So let's pray together and then we'll have an opportunity to say these words. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if we can say them together to give courage to those who are saying them for the first time. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your heart for us that you're always seeking us, even when we're not seeking after you. God, we thank you for Daniel, for the great example that he has given us of what it looks like to be faithful no matter of the circumstances. God, maybe we see that you are with us even through the fire, even through the lion's den, even through persecution and pain and hurt. May we follow after you with everything that we have. God, and for those for who haven't accepted that free gift of salvation, that they're ready, that they're ready to join with you on a mission, an identity, a purpose, and a salvation bigger than themselves. That the Holy Spirit would move in their life and they, they, would, they would say these words for the first time as we all say them together. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. In faith I declare, Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you and live for you, even in the fire. And if you said those words the first time, you have been forgiven, you have been set free, you've been given the faithfulness of Jesus and the angels are rejoicing. And so we want to celebrate with you. If you on the count of three would raise your hand so we can celebrate with you and encourage you as you start off this journey of faithfulness. So on the count of three, if you'll raise your hand. One, two, three. God, we thank you. Amen. Amen. God, we thank you for the work that you're doing in this place. We thank you for the work that you're doing in churches and hearts all throughout our world, God. We thank you for the faithfulness and the example of the global church, God. We thank you for the hearts and people that you're drawing to Christmas Eve. God, may we be bold enough to partner with you on your mission and make the ask. Be faithful in a small thing and be so amazed in what you do. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.